Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com/csb1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There are cities all over the world that aren't really cities. They don't have skyscrapers or big city halls or sports stadiums or anything that you would think that a city would have. The thing is, though, millions of people live in them. They were put up to provide housing for just a few weeks or a few months, and that was years ago. They popped up out of nothing, often a piece of desert or a piece of farmland. And even though they've got a lot of people, calling them cities is questionable. It's really built as, as a, a temporary storage facility for people, and it's not meant to be at all um, a place where people should be living decades. And that is, um, that is the point we, we need to rethink. Killian Kleinschmidt is the founder of the Innovation and Planning Agency, a nonprofit that connects refugees with resources around the world. He's been watching these instant cities go up for a long time, like Zatari in Jordan, which is about as big as Scranton, Pennsylvania, or Trenton, New Jersey. And Kleinschmidt, who used to work for the UN Refugee Agency, wonders if we should take people fleeing wars and famines and places increasingly devastated by climate change and just build them some good instant cities. Because life in refugee camps, which is where more and more of us humans are living, it's rough. People spend most of their time in actually accessing the services. So they will uh, queue up to get their food in a, in a food distribution. Then we will go to the water point and collect water. Um, then right. there, somebody issues uh, nappies or, or shoes. And so they spend the entire time, in fact, of passing time and, and getting assistance or trying to get hold of assistance. So that's the main focus of life. If you're lucky, there is a school which has been established and kids uh, eventually go to school or not. So that is not what, let's say, a productive life and a constructive life should look like. And that is one of the main, the main issues. We, we look at people in these places as a liability, as aid recipients, but not as people who actually have a capability and, are in fact, are an opportunity because they have knowledge, they have skills. They have manpower and woman power. They, are, they can be very active people, but they're prevented from being active because the systems are outdated and because we don't look at people in a way that they should be developing for the future. And when you look at some of these uh, refugee camps that have been around a long time, like there decades, there have been camps that have been around for decades. At what point does a camp turn the corner from this kind of, human storage facility into a place where, you know, uh, some people sell food and some people teach and other people go to school and then, you know, some people, I mean, there's all sorts of things you could be doing. When does that corner turn? Well, usually quite fast, but uh, what is problematic is that it's not part of the official system. Uh, look, let's look at um, Zatari camp in, in Jordan. Yes, after a month or so, the first shops came up. And what are they selling in these stores inside camps? Basically, they're, they're selling everything what, what is not part of the aid package. The aid package is a standardized package. You eat the same, you dress the same, uh, you get the, the same shoes, the same water, the same everything the same, which is actually quite unique. Uh, everybody should be made equal, but in fact, no, people have different tastes. People are human beings, so they will have different uh, desires. 
which of course then leads to these informal markets, which leads to some making money and buying the aid goods for cheap money uh, in order to get cash into the hands of, of people who then would be buying even sometimes, um, I mean, in Zata we had curtain shops, we had shops uh, selling green plants, we had bicycle shops, we had, I mean, they're still there. Um, there's even a travel agency um, dealing with people coming from the Middle East and visiting their families. Wow. So people are like doing interior decoration. I mean, if they have curtains, if they're selling curtains, I assume people are interior decorating their homes in the camps. Yeah, but, but here comes now something which was very significant uh, in Zatari to observe, is people needed that individuality. So people are trying to regain that me and myself, and then I will be giving to the community. Then I can actually begin to be social and, and so on. And we from the aid world, we put it the other way around. We, we force people to go together to the toilet, to the, to the washroom, to cook together. And we don't accept that people have any individual desires because that's not practical, it's not a logistic answer. That is what we need to rethink. And bringing these two agendas together, once we recognize that this place will be really not temporary, and that's, I think, should be taking place, let's say, after a few months. Hmm. I'm Kara Miller. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm talking to Killian Kleinschmidt about redesigning refugee camps. Now, if I wanted to build a building, and I mean just like one building myself, there'd be a whole process I'd have to go through dealing with permits and dealing with the government and all sorts of things. We've got a world with so many refugees in so many parts of the world, but are we set up as a world to deal with creating, you know, basically new cities for these people to live in? I mean, who provides the money? Who's in whose, you know, domain is the... You know, uh, providing the licenses for the structures to be built. You know, I mean, it seems like something that's almost outside of any individual country. And I just wonder if we're up to it. Yeah, I mean, look, I will say something which is maybe not mainstream uh, for sure. We're talking, quote unquote, only about 21 million refugees under the protection of the Refugee Convention. But we talk about billions of people living in very bad conditions as well. In a way, um, we should be including into this discussion the rapid urbanization we are um, experiencing throughout the world, the slums, the um, sort of uh, very unsafe living conditions. So let's not forget, we're going to get tens of millions of climate refugees over the next uh, few decades if we continue like that. Considering that 75% of us will be living in these urban agglomerations in uh, 2050, the latest, we better make sure that this is well managed. So we need to find financing and governance models to get this going very fast. We have to be very grateful to the million and a half people or so who came over the last couple of years to, to Europe because they have been shaking up the system. That was a shock therapy and saying, hey, my God, now they're coming to us. Um, yeah, in, but in the reaction in Europe hasn't been, you know, speaking of an appetite, I don't, it's been rough, right? It's, it's a rough ride, but it exposes our weaknesses. And uh, it's very good to recognize problems, even populism and, and even rising fascism in a way. It's, it's good to know that this exists. But the appetite, I find, is absolutely amazing within, within particularly, I would say, the private sector, the, the developers, the, uh, the people who actually do impact investment and so on, to look into new models of how to get this together. And everywhere, 
people simply because we're beginning to change the narrative. We're not talking about the victims anymore. We're not talking about this is only about uh, charity and poverty and donate more, but uh, also having everybody to realize that, well, it's, it's actually from a capitalist point of view, it's actually uh, part of an expansion of markets if you take it uh, from that side, or it's, it's also our collective survival not to exclude um, basically half of the world's population from what the world can do. Do you worry at all that um, if you make refugee camps into something that is better for the people who are in them, who obviously don't really want to be there, at least didn't want to be there initially, that in some ways you're maybe condoning what's happening to them in the, you know, in, in the country that they fled from, or that you're making it easier for uh, bad leaders to drive people out of countries because, after all, there's some very nice refugee camps they can go to. Well, yes, uh, there's of course uh, that that uh, angle to this, and that's uh, it's always a danger that we that we give up on on dip diplomacy. I mean, I, I'm not very impressed with our um, current levels of success when it comes to diplomacy and ending conflicts through negotiation or something. I, I don't think we have. We have been very successful, but um, in the same time, um, now from a people's perspective, um, holding people hostage to to the situation, saying because you have to go back, we don't give you opportunities. Because you have to go back, we don't allow you to progress uh, in exile. And I think, or in displacement, I think this is this is really cynical. And I, I think it's it's actually an opportunity to help change and in a way undermine autocratic. Uh, systems in bringing to people better um, access to better governance, access to tech, access to a modern world. Uh, and here a little, a little story from, uh, from the displaced camps in, in Pakistan, in Peshawar, close to the Afghan border, where in 2009 I was talking with, with displaced uh, little girls um, from the tribal areas. They were saying, it's great, finally I can go to school, finally I have actually friends I can play with and I'm not locked in and if you want uh, now in inventing here but I'm not getting, going to get married when I'm 12 years old because now mm. I have seen the world and that's that is also that opportunity for change and in and actually rebuilding uh, rebuilding or having people access um, a, a more modern world is, is quite often um, significant maybe to say the myth of return to the place of origin we have to to get away with this as well you said there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Um, is there a picture that you would want to paint of what a refugee camp that had been done the right way uh, really might might look like? Uh, we're seeing, uh, for instance, in Pakistan, uh, lots of camps transformed into villages and little towns. Um, mm. But a uh, very interesting observation, uh, you still see in those villages and towns, and that applies as well for many of the Palestinian camps, which have become de facto um, urban settlements, uh, that you can still see today how the first tents were pitched. And that is not a sign of the way of how uh, sustainable grids and urban systems should be built. Killian Kleinschmidt is the founder of the Innovation and Planning Agency, a nonprofit that connects refugees with resources from around the world. He also formerly worked for the UN Refugee Agency. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me.
If you want to hear Innovation Hub while you're traveling during the holidays, you can find us on iTunes, in Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.